Church, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. You can learn a lot about a person by finding out what songs they like. Perhaps some of you enjoy compiling songs into playlists on Spotify or elsewhere. If any of you would let me listen to a playlist that you have made, I bet I could learn quite a bit about you as a person. Well, if there is any book of the Bible that could be called God's playlist, it's certainly this book, the book of Psalms, which is the only book in the Bible that is entirely composed of songs designed to be sung by the people of God. And indeed, as we get into these songs, we will learn a lot about the God who compiled them. So as mentioned today, we begin a new series on the Psalms. And don't worry, we're looking, we're not looking at all of the Psalms, uh, just a number of them. And then we will return to the book of Genesis in January of next year. But the goal of this sermon series is simply to whet your appetite for this immensely important book of the Bible. I hope to stir your interest in all 150 tracks that are on this divine playlist. Many in the church today don't know much about what is in the book of Psalms, but it has a very special place in Scripture. The New Testament quotes the book of Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. That's significant. In fact, during the moment of deepest darkness, when Jesus was on the cross, it was the words of a psalm that gave expression to his unspeakable pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. Exact quote. Did you know that? For more than 1,500 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, the book of Psalms was also the main hymn book of the church. It's what people sang. And hence, it was the most well-known, well-memorized book by most Christians. Martin Luther said, The Psalter ought to be a precious and beloved book. It might well be called a little Bible. That's what Luther said, a little Bible. The Psalms are more important than many Christians realize today. Many of us nowadays have trouble praying because we've ignored the Psalms. The Psalms are a school of prayer. It's like a school that you go to in order to learn how to pray, how to speak to God. One writer puts it this way. Like the rest of Scripture, the Psalms are fully God's Word to us. But unlike the rest of Scripture, the Psalms are further designed to become our words to sing back to God. So do you have trouble praying? Study the Psalms. Come into this school of prayer. Many of these prayers will seem ancient and foreign at first, because they are, but you will soon find that they provide you with words 
to speak to God in every possible situation in your life, whether you are happy or suffering or guilty or thankful or even angry. There's a psalm for everything. John Calvin calls the psalms the anatomy of all the parts of the soul, meaning that this book captures the full range of emotions and experiences in the life of a believer. These songs give you words to express yourself to God when you can't find your own words. The first two psalms, however, are not prayers, but they are like a doorway into this school of prayer. They prepare us before we begin to pray. So as you enter this school, you pass through through two doorposts, as it were. Psalm 1 on the one side, and Psalm 2 on the other. Psalm 1 orients you to the Word of God, and Psalm 2 orients you to the Son of God. So today we'll look at Psalm 1. Please give your reverent attention as I read, for these are the words of God. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This psalm and the book of Psalms as a whole begins with this word. Blessed. Blessed is the man. That's how this book begins. Blessed is the most common translation of this Hebrew word. But some translations say happy. Happy is the man. One translation even says, oh, the joys. It's not easy to find an exact uh, English equivalent word for this Hebrew word. In Malay, actually, we have something much closer, the word bahagia. In Mandarin, we would say singfu. And that's what is meant here by the word blessed. It means that someone is in a great place in life. Everything is going well for them. They're in a state of peace and happiness, which is what all of us want, really, Christians and non-Christians. You and I, everybody, we want happiness, don't we? But not many people find it. Some people think that they need money to become happy. They get money. It doesn't really make them happy, not in the long run. Some people think they need a spouse to become happy. They get married, and it doesn't, it may not make them, make them happy. How can we find the happy life? How do we get the blessed life? That's what Psalm 1 teaches us. But the answer may be surprising. After beginning with such a bright 
positive word. Blessed. The psalmist immediately turns to a negative thought. The psalm first tells us what the blessed person does not do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So, what must you do to find true happiness according to this psalm? To put it simply, don't be a bad guy. Don't live a life of sin. Instead, this is what you should do. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The man who finds happiness is someone who loves God's word. He loves what the Bible teaches. He loves it so much that he thinks about it all the time. He meditates on the word of God day and night. The psalmist then provides a picture, an illustration for how this kind of person finds happiness. So in verse 3, we see a picture of a tree. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Children, many of you know what happens when a tree does not get enough water. What happens? It becomes dry. Its leaves turn brown and they fall off. It doesn't grow. There are no fruits on the tree. And it might die in time. But if a tree gets enough water, it can be healthy, right? It can grow. Its leaves can be green. So when someone reads the Bible and loves the Bible, you can imagine that he is like a tree. You ever pretend to be a tree? He's like a tree that gets a lot of water. A happy tree that uh, the Bible says that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then the psalmist gives us the opposite picture for sinners in verse 4. They are like chaff, like dried up plant parts that get blown away by the wind and scattered. It's very clear in this psalm that there are two ways to live life. These two ways lead to two very different results. You can live your life close to God's word, planted in God's word, meditating in in God's word, and that leads to blessedness, that leads to happiness. Or you can live a life of sin, away from God's word, ignoring God's commandments and violating his law. And that leads to punishment and death, as we see in verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So there's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And the way of the wicked ends in death. That's what this psalm shows us. Is there a middle way? That's what we might be tempted to ask. Not too good, not too bad, not righteous, not wicked. But there is no middle way in this psalm. Nor can we find a middle way in all of Scripture, in God's world. There are only two ways, righteousness or sin. There is no such thing as a third way. So as we walk into this school of prayer, the book of Psalms, we first learn something about God. What do we learn? 
before we learn to pray, before we learn to speak to God, we are first reminded that God speaks. He speaks to us in His law, in His word. And we learn that paying attention to what He says is the difference between life and death. The way of life and the way of death. What we learn about God in Psalm 1 is that His word is life. It's the stream of water that makes for a blessed life, a happy life. Do you believe this? And is this the starting point of your prayer life? Before you talk to God, before you ask God for all sorts of good things, for a good life, do you listen to God? That's what Psalm 1 is challenging us. That's, what, that's how it prepares us to learn how to pray. We don't speak first. God speaks first. We must begin with the Word because God is a God who speaks. He gave His law. And that is a truth that we should really delight in. Because he did not have to give his law. It wasn't necessary for him. He didn't, he didn't have to reveal himself to us. God did not have to speak and tell us who he is and what he wants. But he graciously revealed himself so that we can have a relationship with him. So that we can know him. And so that we can receive life and happiness through his word. And that's partly why the blessed man in this psalm delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. He knows it is out of sheer divine grace and love that God holds out his word as the way to life, as the way to happiness. But has anyone chosen that path? Did anyone really tap the source of this blessed life? Who is the blessed man? As you read this psalm, are you thinking, I can do that? Is that your first response? From the very beginning, actually, we have been ignoring what God says. We were deceived by the lie of the serpent. Did God actually say? That's what the serpent said. We despise the word of God, and so we chose the way of death. All of us. Psalm 14 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. In other words, dear friends, there is no blessed man. There is no tree planted by water. There is no one who ever obtained true happiness because there is no one who fully and perfectly delighted in the word of God. Not Noah, not Abraham, not Moses, not David. All of these men failed just as you and I fail. There was no one who was blessed until the word of God himself came into our world and became that one blessed man. The Gospel of John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this refers, of course, to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. He's the only one. 
He is the righteous man who delighted in God's law and sought to do his father's will day and night. He is this man. And he would have remained the only righteous man who ever lived if he did not, out of his perfect love for us, brothers and sisters, give us his righteousness as a gift so that we stand before God justified, righteous, We were supposed to perish for our sins, but Jesus suffered on the cross for us as if He were the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer, the chaff. He took our judgment on Himself. And furthermore, by His rising from the dead, He gave us a new heart, a heart that loves righteousness so that there could be a congregation of the righteous, as you see in verse 5, a congregation of the righteous. So Jesus is the only blessed man, but he came to share his blessedness with us who are united with him by faith. In the blessed man and only in him do we ourselves become blessed. So Psalm 1 is ultimately a song about Jesus. It's not firstly about you. Jesus is the embodiment of God's law and He is the blessed man. So how then should we live in response to this passage? First of all, for those of you who feel that you have not been walking in the way of righteousness and have not been seeking your blessedness in the blessed man Jesus Christ, Today, this passage offers you a chance, a chance to repent, a reminder to repent. The distance between these two ways might seem pretty great to you, pretty vast, but as long as you live and breathe, there is time and opportunity to change your way. Don't say to yourself, I'm probably just one of the wicked. There's no hope for me. There's no need to think like that. You know, when the psalmist says, that the tree is planted by streams of water. The Hebrew term is actually, actually means transplanted. That tree was transplanted from one place to another. This means that the tree in this illustration was not originally planted next to the water. It was moved there from somewhere else. That's what the Hebrew term means. So don't consider it too late for you to change. There's still hope. Get transplanted. Make a decisive break with sin. Uproot yourself by God's grace from the evil influences in your life and come to the living waters of the Word for a new beginning. That's one thing that this psalm teaches us, each of us to do, all of us to do, to repent, to turn from the way of wickedness and to choose the way of righteousness following Jesus Christ the blessed man. Secondly, this psalm also teaches us to meditate on the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditation is something of a lost art in Christian circles. We don't really talk very much about meditating on God's word anymore. And even when we hear that word, 
What we might think of is what people in、uh, some other religions might religions might do when they empty their minds and try to think about nothing. Christian meditation is very different. Christian meditation is not about emptying our minds, but it's about filling our minds with God's word. Christian meditation is to seriously and intentionally fix your mind on God's word, thinking over, rehearsing to yourself certain truths of the Bible, to see how it applies to your heart, how it applies to your life, and even how it applies to the world around you. Meditation is when you treat the word of God as your food and drink, the food and drink of your soul. You not only want to read the words on the page. You, you not only want to intellectually analyze and organize its contents, but you delight in it. You need it. You immerse your heart in the word. You try to drink it in, like a tree soaks up water with its roots, and the word of God becomes so important to you, so central in your life, that even when you're not reading the Bible, you develop a habit of thinking. About God's word at different moments, the word of God permeates your life in all its areas. When you wake up in the morning, you remember that God's mercies are new every morning. When you eat, you remember that God is the one who's feeding you, and you eat with thankfulness. When you see your next door neighbor, you remember that God has called you to love your neighbor. When your boss or your coworker mistreats you at work. You remember that God has commanded you not to repay evil for evil. When you look at the world around you, you see the the turmoil, the instability in politics and in culture. You remember that God is King, and that He still reigns over everything. He still has it under control. When you look at the sky at night, you remember Psalm eight. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? That you are mindful of him. You meditate on the word of God day and night. This takes work. It requires that you set your heart, you discipline yourself to love God's word. It's hard work, but the reward is immense. It's worth it because as you meditate on the word, that's where you find Jesus, the blessed man. And that's where you partake of His blessedness in your life, His joy. Jesus said in Luke、uh, twenty-four, verse forty-four, that all of Scripture, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, all speak about Him. So, do you want Jesus in your life, in all areas in your life? Then meditate on the Word. That's how He comes into every nook and cranny. Of your life, that's how you can grow closer to Him and feel His presence, day and night. And this will help your prayer life as well. So, speaking of the Psalms as a school of prayer, it's really apt that Psalm one comes first because prayer is greatly helped by meditation on God's Word. The Puritan preacher Thomas Manton once said that the Word feeds meditation. And meditation feeds prayer. In other words, if you don't meditate on God's word, you will probably have difficulty 
in your prayer life. You will often feel that you're just speaking into the air because you have not immersed your heart and mind in the Bible enough to know whom is it that you are speaking to. Your prayer life will be unstable because it's meditation on God's Word that grounds you, that roots you like a tree in the true and intimate knowledge of God such that you are close to Him and you can speak freely to Him. The Word feeds meditation and meditation feeds prayer. If we commit ourselves to this practice by God's grace, then we will have a blessed life, a happy life, as this psalm teaches us. That's the promise. And this doesn't mean, of course, that there will be no suffering or sorrow in your life. Just look at Jesus. He's the blessed man. And what his earthly life was like. It was full of suffering. But it does mean that when trials do come, we will be like the strong, deeply rooted tree that is able to withstand heat and great storms and not like the chaff that the wind blows away. There will be trials in this life, and you know this very well. You face this. But if you meditate on God's Word and find Christ there, then in time there will grow such a true, profound joy in your heart that even great suffering cannot take away. And even though you might not, according to the world standards, even though you might not be enjoying prosperity or success, according to what other people think, still, people will notice that you have a certain joy, a certain blessedness and happiness in your life. And they'll think to themselves, somehow, in all that he does, he prospers. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, a challenging word showing us the two ways to live. We often find ourselves indeed walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And you see that, but that's not what we desire to be. Lord, give us Christ. Give us the blessed man and help us to find our refuge in him. Help us to become like him and cover us with his righteousness. Lord, we also ask that you help us to make your word central in our lives. Teach us what it is to meditate on your word, to let it be our joy all the day. You know that our hearts are so cold, um, so often uh, ignoring your word. And you also know that our lives are so full of distractions. There are things that clamor for our attention everywhere. And it's so hard, Lord, it's so hard to focus on your word. We need your help. Help us. Help us to be like Christ and to be in your word. Help us to be like this tree in this psalm that we can withstand the storms of this life. And Lord, we do look forward to the day when this blessedness that we have 
A small taste of in this life will be complete when, when we pass, pass on from this life or when Christ comes again. He will wipe away every tear and we will find ourselves truly blessed in you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.